from the Cyber Hub Bunker and Studio. You're tuning in to the Cyber Hub Podcast. And now for your host and CISO, James Azar. Good morning. Welcome to another episode of the Cyber Hub Podcast. How's it going, security gang? We're live on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, and Twitch. It's Tuesday, May 30th, 2023. Coming back from a very reflective weekend. Memorial Day is always a uh, reflective weekend for for at least most vets I know, myself included. It's a weekend where we think of uh, friends that we've lost and um, we think of the sacrifice of some of the uh, greatest people uh, this country had that went to battle and unfortunately never made it home. And we're still losing 22 of those a day. So it's important to note that. Um, I hope everyone had a meaningful Memorial Day where you're able to reflect on all the great things that we have in this country and the ultimate price that had to be paid by so many. With that being said, I want to shift gears because we've got a packed show this morning, but I'd be remiss if I didn't tell y'all June 1st, right here in my hometown of Atlanta, Georgia, I'll be hooking up with Don, Amanda, and the team over at Data Connectors for an awesome event. Um, Come by, join us. I'll be there all days doing some awesome podcasts hanging out with some really cool people and, and can't wait to see some of your faces in person as well you can get your free ticket by going to dataconnectors.com uh, signing up for the event and use the cyber hub podcast discount code to get your free pass to the event go do that now and i can't wait to see y'all thursday here in atlanta um so good morning don eddie tom and mr felker the one of the greater uh, pa- one of the greatest patriots i know that this country's had so All right, y'all, let's go ahead and get started on this morning's show. But without my double espresso, that wouldn't be a kickstart, right? So coffee cup cheers, y'all. How about don't click that zip? I love the headline here from the Hacker News. Um, That's why I chose their story of it, because I loved the headline. So for a lot of us practitioners, we're constantly working on refining the way we deal with threats that hit the inbox. Obviously, we can't be over restrictive of the inbox simply because it's part of doing business. The more restrictive the inbox is, the more likely people are to look for other ways to be able to do the work that they need to do. And so we need to be business enablers as practitioners. And threat actors know this. This new phishing attack, though, is really using the .zip domain. And with this phishing attack, they simulate a file archive software, a win.rar, for example, in the browser, and use a .zip domain to make it appear a bit more legitimate, according to security researcher Mr. Docs, This was all disclosed last week. They could create a realistic-looking phishing landing page using HTML and CSS that mimics legitimate filed archive software hosted on a .zip domain, thus elevating social engineering campaigns. In a potential attack scenario, this could resort to such trickery could redirect users to credential harvesting pages when a file contained within the fake zip archive is clicked. Another interesting use case is listing a non-executable file. When the user clicks it to initiate the download, it downloads an executable file, Let's say you have an invoice.pdf file. When a user clicks on the file, it will initiate a download of an exe or any other one. On top of that, the search bar in the Windows File Explorer can emerge as a sneaky conduit when searching for non-existent zip files. Opens uh, opens it directly in the web browser. Should be a file. Should the file name correspond to a legitimate zip domain? This comes as Google rolls out eight top-level domains, including. .zip and .mov that have raised some concerns that it could invite phishing and other types of online scams. Now, the, this last comment is something I want to quickly address. 
yes, it's going to introduce new scams. We have to be better as practitioners. We have to find a way to solve these things. Business is going to move. The online world's going to develop. There's going to be need to be more extensions.com. <laughs> Just not enough anymore, right? And so they're going to be there. This type of attack is good to kind of have on your on your on your uh, uh, radar for now and then try to brainstorm ways of how you can resolve it. So you can check that out. Last week, we talked about how PyPy had frozen all signups. They're now forcing mandatory two-factor authentication for all software publishers. PyPy's long been a, uh, a, a dream for threat actors to get in and put in libraries to get, uh, to get and disrupt the supply chain. For those who don't know, PyPy is a Python programming language repository, kind of think of GitHub, but for Python. Uh, the PyPy team says the decision to make 2FA mandatory in all accounts is part of their long-term commitment to enhancing security on the platform, uh, complementing previous measures taken. And these guys have been like, I mean, they've just been getting hit. We talked about PyPy quite often on the show. So good to see him finally making them do two-factor authentication. The question is, how do you authenticate that that's a real user? That's a good first step, but MFA doesn't solve all your problems. MFA is a good step towards this. If they do phone MFA, that might be more legit. If you allow an app MFA, threat actors will still use that. They'll just write a code, read it, API it in. And and, and so, you know, you got to be mindful of what this does. Does this reduce risk? A little bit. It eliminates a lot of the script kitties that go into PyPy. Uh, it won't eliminate the legitimate threat actors with the software supply chains that want to do that. Those folks will still be around. Um, they'll find a way to do it through an API token and 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 still be able to, to launch software. So it's a good first step. Doesn't mean all problems are solved. It just means they've elevated the, the, the threat surface. And so you'll get elevated actors. Speaking of MFA and OAuth, there's now an OAuth vulnerability uh, and it's a critical one in the open authorization implementation of the application development framework, expo.io. Assigned CVE identifier 2023-28131 has a severity rating of 9.6 on the CVSS scoring system. API security firm Salt Labs said the issue rendered services using the framework susceptible to credential leakage, which could then be used to hijack accounts and siphon sensitive data. Under certain circumstances, threat actors could take advantage of the flaw to perform arbitrary actions on behalf of the compromised users on platforms like Facebook, Google, and Twitter. Now, it's important to note that this only deals with configured auth session proxy settings for single sign-on using third-party providers such as Google and Facebook. Now, this is common if you're using this Expo platform to develop Android iOS apps. So if you're not using Expo uh, for Android iOS or web development, this does not apply to your business. But if you do and you've got this enabled, then this vulnerability does impact your business. So you may want to check with, you know, your team just to ensure that Expo is not the platform that you're that you're using. But if it is, then you want to disable the Google Facebook single sign-on, allow only through email at this time um, until this does get addressed. Um, so this vulnerability is somewhat significant, but nonetheless, um, you want to make sure you address it now. Lazarus is also targeting Windows IIS web servers for initial access. The North Korean-backed uh, group known as Lazarus are now targeting vulnerable Windows Internet Information Services web servers to gain initial access into corporate networks. Uh, while primarily financially motivated, many analysts believe some of their malicious activities helped fund North Korea's weapons development. 
but they have been involved in several several espionage. They get a lot of their skills, by the way, Lazarus, Lazarus do from the Chinese. And there's a back and forth going on there, meaning Lazarus could do some, some activities on behalf of the Chinese, then sell it to the Chinese to get more capabilities and so forth. So the Windows IIS web servers are used by organizations to host web content like sites, apps, and services like Windows uh, Microsoft Exchange Outlook on the web. It's a flexible solution. So if servers are poorly managed or outdated, they can be a network entry point. Symantec has previously reported about uh, criminals deploying malware on IIS to execute commands on the breach system through web requests, evading detection from security tools. Lazarus first gained access to IIS servers uh, using known vulnerabilities or misconfigurations that allow the threat actors to create files using the w3wp.exe process upon launching um, the hackers dropped the word conv.exe, which is a legitimate file with a malicious DLL. Um, and once they do that, the malicious DLL, the malicious code in the DLL loads and decrypts the Salsa 20 encoded executable and executes it in memory where antivirus tools can't detect it. Uh, they found several code similarities with another malware as well. So there's that. So, I mean, again, Lazarus threat actors are always going to get a bit more creative and a lot more creative with how they deal with this. This DLL side loading is really big. It's 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 how they're moving things along and how they're getting through our EDR and MDR tools, which leads you to believe that you've got to have your your layers of security, your defense in depth. You've got to have the, this kind of idea of you got to, not the idea, but you got to have the concept of zero trust really well built into your uh, security framework. Um, and and you can't trust anything that comes through. And don't trust your MDR, XDR to detect everything. So have complementary solutions, potentially in network detection and response, looking for network anomalies, looking for startup and processes anomalies like you see here in order to really strengthen your defenses if you feel like you could be a potential victim of the Lazarus group. If you don't think you're you're in that realm, if you're not within their, their previous supply chain, then I don't know how critical it is, uh, but nonetheless, you want to address it if you are. Zixel, uh, Mirai, sorry, a Mirai botnet variant has been exploiting a recently patched vulnerability that uh, allows them to hack many Zixel firewalls. That's CVE 2023-28771. The Taiwan-based networking device manufacturer informed customers about the security hole on April 25th and announced the availability of patches for impacted ATP, VPN, USG, and Xi wall USG firewalls. The OS command injection vulnerability found by Trappist Security is caused by improper error message handling in some firewalls and could allow an unauthenticated attacker to remotely execute OS commands by sending specially crafted packets to the targeted device. By mid-May, security expert, experts reported reproducing the exploit and Rapid7 warned a few days later that it would likely end up being exploited in the wild. Rapid7 said they've seen 42,000 instances of internet-exposed Zexel devices web interfaces and noted that the actual number of exploitable devices was likely much, much higher. Kevin Baumat reported... On Thursday, that CV 2023-28771 had been mass exploited by the Mirai botnet variant with many SMB applications being impacted. Um, it's not uncommon to see this happen. Now, this does have a patch, and you want to make sure you get it done as well. Swiss industrial giant ABB is confirming this week that it was targeted in a ransomware attack and that some data was exfiltrated by the cyber criminals. Um ABB has determined that an unauthorized third party accessed certain ABB systems deployed a type of ransomware that's not self-propagating and exfiltrated certain data. 
The company is working to identify and analyze the nature and scope of affected data and is further assessing its notification obligation. The malware was allegedly only deployed on a limited number of servers and endpoints. The malware was, distrib- was distributed by a manual intervention and it, can, and it could not automatically spread through emails or the local network. In a private notification sent to customers, ABB said its forensic investigation found no evidence of customer systems being directly impacted. In addition, there's no indication that it's unsafe to connect to ABB systems. Yet, um, fairly uh, fairly brave to say, Black Pasta is apparently behind it, according to Kevin Beaumont as well. So there's that. And finally, for all of you practitioners, lender one main financial was fined $4.25 million dollars for cybersecurity lapses. This is coming after the non-prime credit company uh, lapsed in some of their cybersecurity controls, including managing third-party service provider risk, managing access privileges, maintaining a formal application security development methodology, significantly increasing the company's vulnerability to cybersecurity events. This is according to the New York State Department of Financial Services in an announcement last week on Thursday, the DFS investigation found, for example, that the company allowed local admin users to share accounts and permitted those accounts to use the default passwords that user got when they were onboarded. Other document lapses include problems with application security, where they used a non-formalized project administrative framework that it had developed in-house that failed to address certain key software development life cycle phases. The company also did not assess third-party vendors properly, despite having a policy in place for determining their risk rating. They just kind of had it there, but they never really enforced policy, which is why you don't write policy you can't enforce. So they're saying they've addressed this, by the way, just to be fair. One main says this was from something that they did from 2017 to early 2020. At this point, we're, you know, way over it. I mean, this it's a billion-dollar company, and just in the first quarter of this year, they've made a, a revenue of $1.09 billion. So this $4.25 million doesn't mean anything. But it's important to know if you are in financial, if you do go go through a DFS audit, you'll see this, and um, and and this this alone will will do that as well. There's other cases as well that the DFS has been actively going after, including IMED uh, and the parent company of retailer Sheen, uh, along with uh, find a sporting's good retailer and a medical management company, all for data protection lapses lapses. That's all from the state of New York. So that's it for our show this morning. We'll be back tomorrow with a whole lot more. And then Thursday, come hang out with me at Data Connectors here in Atlanta. Again, go to Data Connectors, use the CyberHub podcast discount code and get your free ticket. Come hang out, maybe do a reel with me on YouTube and Instagram, whatever it is. Come hang out, spend some time. It'll be great, awesome panel as well. Uh, Looking forward to seeing all of y'all there. Until then, have a great rest of your day. And most importantly, stay cyber safe. We love feedback, so make sure to connect with us on social media and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform.